It's Sharon Srivata. Welcome back to the Business School Podcast. And in this episode, I'm going to talk to you about how to suck less. Not how to suck less today. In fact, I'm going to talk to you about how to suck less tomorrow, every single tomorrow. I want to show you how you can get better on autopilot and leave your competition in the dust. I break down three important ways on how to do that and how to integrate it into your life. I take you through it step-by-step, step, and it all starts right now. One thing is for certain, just because it's tried and true doesn't mean it's working right now. So the big question is this, where can you learn what is working right now? The strategies, the tactics, the psychology, and the exact how-to, how to grow your business, how to blow up your personal brand and supercharge your personal growth. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Sharon Trivata, and welcome to Business School. Everyone talks about making more, doing more, being more, giving more, how to make more money, how to get more houses, how to buy more cars, how to get more leads, how to build better offers, how to more, more, more. And in a lot of ways, I will tell you that some of the most elegant things that you can do is to do it less. And the entire part of you know, what is what is the great saying, which says um, a sculptor sees the sculpture inside the rock and all he does or all she does is chisel away the pieces to have it show itself. Now, that may seem strange, but this episode is dedicated to doing less. <laughs> and the best part about doing less is not doing less about anything. Not It's not doing less work. It's not doing getting less leads. It's not making less money. It's about sucking less. I actually believe if we all sucked less, we would quadruple our doing more very fast. Sucking, we many of us just suck. And it's just, forgive me, I, I don't know a better word to ex explain this. And I'm sorry if you're in the car with um, folks that shouldn't hear this, but I'm going to use the word suck multiple times. So you can just explain to people in the car, our youngsters, that sucking just is a uh, adult word for not being good at something. So, children, thank you for listening. This is a very uh, children-centric show. Sucking just means you are bad at something. That's all it means. Okay? So, that will be the extent of my words here. But how do you suck less tomorrow? That is the focus of this episode. How do you suck less tomorrow? Because if you suck less tomorrow, every tomorrow, you're going to get very good very quickly. And the reason why one of your employees is not doing a good job is because they suck at something. The reason why you're not doing a good job at something is because you suck at something. You don't, a lot of times we don't need a brand new skill. You just are not good at it. So how do you suck less at something? And that is the focus of this episode. In fact, I want to show you how to get better on autopilot and leave your competition in the dust. That's what this episode is about. How to get better on autopilot and leave your competition in the dust. I'm going to, as always, talk about three big ideas. The first idea is how to role play consistently, and it's not what you think. Second idea how to, is to how to review obsessively, and it's not what you think. And the third is to reflect honestly, and it's definitely not what you think. So let me show you how you can put this uh, piece of machinery in place in your life where you can get better on autopilot. Now, why is this even semi-important? It's important because 
Uh, I'm a tennis player. I played tennis growing up. It got me my ticket to seeing the world and uh, playing and teaching tennis to uh, Bill and Melinda Gates, Alan Alda, the Sultan of Brunei. Uh, it was uh, Michael J. Fox. It was pretty wild. Now, the crazy part of this is when you play tennis, a one degree change in the angle could mean whether your ball goes to the fence or your ball hits the net. The same with the airplane. You probably heard of this, an airplane leaving Los Angeles. If it was off two, three degrees in its uh, in its vector, vector is a is course, vector, vector has got speed and acceleration, but it also has distance and direction. So vector is where they're going in a 3D way. If there's one or two or three degree change in the vector, in a uh, flight from LA instead of landing in New York City will land in Boston. And we suck too long between annual planning and quarterly planning and all of that. We're like, oh yeah, let's do some, like the crazy thing, let's do some annual budgets. Like, yeah, that's fine. That's what you have to do. Like we do that. We're a public company. We have to do that. We have to report to the street. We do all of that. But if you don't have startup mentality of watching your dashboard daily, working on things daily, updating things daily, the annual and quarterly business plans are dumb. They're just totally useless. And we suck because it's too long between the annual and quarterly business plans. So let's jump into like the three ways where you can actually uh, suck less tomorrow by putting and getting better on autopilot today. All right. So here's idea number one, which is to role play consistently. Um, what I mean by role play consistently is I mean role play everything. I'll give you a very quick example. Uh, the last one of, one of our last companies when we were selling it, uh, my partner and I were in New York City and uh, we were there for four days. We were meeting with the board, investment bankers, all of that. And um, every morning we would walk really early. We would walk Central Park and we would walk around Central Park and um, my partner and I would just role play. So he would say, all right, Sharon, we're in, in discussions and they're going to ask you a question. Hey, so uh, why do you think, why do you think EBITDA is 42 million? And I'll say, and I, and I started to answer it. He, so he'll let me answer. And then he says, okay, that was pretty good. Let's do it again. And then I would role play that answer again. Then he'd be like, okay, well, let's change that because your sequencing was wrong. Let's do it again. And I would role play the answer again. And we did that for every single question we thought we were going to get asked, every single topic we were going to be in discussion, every single idea that we knew which we were going to get pushed on because every morning we would just role play this with each other. That way, and I will tell you, nine out of 10 things that role played, that we role played actually came up in all our discussions. And then my partner, Peter, would be like, yeah, Sharon, you want to you wanna take that because you can break down for them the ABC method. And then I would just break down what I actually role played because I'd already done it once. Because you, then you give them, everybody, your gift of doing it the second time more elegantly, more beautifully, more honestly. We don't role play the important things enough. We just think that we write some notes and have some talking points, something gets better. But the, the power of role playing something specific is insanely valuable. I'll give you a, a, something that I end up doing a lot. And my, my first sales coach taught me this. And she said to me that, Sharon, every time you get in the car, I want you to think of what one question or one objection or one sales thing that you get and I want you to just role play it in the car to yourself. So now whenever I get in the car, I get it. I very automatically will just start role playing with myself. So it doesn't matter if it's a, 
in investment negotiation. It doesn't matter if it's a real estate objection. It doesn't matter if it's a coaching or sales script idea. It doesn't matter if you're talking to an employee. To me, I'll just pick something right away and then I'll just role play it in the car. And whenever I'm driving, maybe a five minute drive or a 15 minute drive or a 55 minute drive, I always get better because I know that when I get in the car, I only do one of two things. I talk on the phone with my team or I role play. And people wonder why I, I, I'm not better. I've just more practiced. I'm not, I literally, I'm not better than anybody out there. I'm just more practiced. And yes, on the surface, I'm better than you. And I'm not saying you, but I'm better than you. Why? Because I probably role played 35 times this week and you probably role played five. So even if you role played every day, I still beat you. Not because of anything else. So if you assume that we, that you and I have average intelligence, we assume that you and I have the same skill, we assume you and I have the same time, we assume you and I are going after the same clients, and I role-played 37 times this week and you role-played five. Who's going to win? I'm sorry, me. Now, I'm not saying me as in, you know what I mean? I'm not saying look at me. All I'm saying is um, I've created this idea of role-play every time I'm in my car. So I'm just, it's just really hard to beat. So what you want to do is, you, you know, you want to use situational triggers. As soon as you get in your car, the first thing you do is role play before you actually turn on a podcast or anything like that. You, um, the whole Brian Tracy called it University on Wheels. I'm not there to just learn from a podcast all the time. I got to get good at my skills. In fact, I will tell you, if you put no new knowledge into your system and into your life for the next three years and you actually only role played on the things that you need to role play on better, you will win so much bigger. But the problem is you're not going to make time to role play. You think that most people think that role playing requires 30 minutes and you got to find a role play partner. Now your role play partner sucks. So what do you do? And you're trying to go back and forth and that person is terrible. And you're like, I'm not interested. And you, if you feel embarrassed, blah, blah, blah. You got to get to the point where the role play is not embarrassing anymore. That's when you've gone beyond the point of the skill and gotten to the spirit of mastery. Here's the interesting part about that. So if you're ever role-playing with somebody, role-play the 80%, not just the 20%. What people I see role-play is they role-play the objections. No, instead of role-playing the objections, role-play the other 80% as well. Role-play the normal beginning of the call and the end of the call. Role-play the normal, hey, uh, tell us about how your company works. Role-play the simple stuff. Role-playing the simple stuff allows you insane confidence because 80 to 80% of the time, you, you're actually only talking about the simple stuff. Sure, should you role-play the objections? Yes, but we forget to role-play the simple stuff. The, in a lot of ways, we don't get hired not because we, we can't objection handle. We don't get hired because the rest of our stuff sucks. I have seen real estate agents, mortgage brokers, coaches, and consultants present stuff to me and they are really good at handling objections, but they're really bad at explaining their program. Like, that makes no sense. A real estate agent, if you can't explain how you work with a client, you suck. A mortgage broker can't explain how a mortgage works, let alone what rates they have, you suck. If a coach or a consultant can't explain what their program does, but then knows how to explain the pricing objection, you suck. Because the idea is you want to role play the 80% that is guaranteed to happen, not the 20% that may happen only. And that's why this is important. That's why a lot of coaches and consultants are like, oh, let me give you the objection collection. Like, that's cool. You can 
you can have all the, the pricing and the timing objections. But the reason why you're not, if you actually explain the normal stuff well, you will get fewer objections. The reason you get objections is because you're, you can't explain the normal stuff well. Your normal stuff sucks. That's why you get objections. When I go on an appointment, I don't get a lot of objections. It's not because I'm good. It's because my explanation or the articulation of my normal day-to-day -day things are significantly better than the average person. And they're not better because I'm better. They're just better because I'm more practiced. That's all it is. Kobe Bryant to spend three, five, seven extra hours in the gym. He's just shot three, five, seven thousand more baskets than the next guy. That is three, five, seven thousand more reps. He's gotten that much more muscle memory. That's all I have. That's all it is. So I'm not any better. I'm just more practiced. And when you, we do the normal stuff well, we get fewer objections. The reason you have to do fewer practice your objections is because you suck at your normal stuff. That's the problem. And here's the interesting part about role playing consistently. When I call my mentors, I I ask them to role play to me. So recently I was, uh, I needed to have a tough conversation and, um, I, I was kind of like thinking about it for a couple of days. And then I called my long-term mentor, long-time mentor. And I was like, Hey, Peter, this is what's happening. What do you think? And he's like, Oh, I would, I suggest you do this. I said, cool. Uh, so can you just role play it for me? So let's, I won't talk. So let's say you got on the call and, and I asked you this question, how would you answer it? And he just role played it to me. And I was like, Oh. That felt pretty good. I, I understood the emotions. I was like, perfect. That's all I needed. Thank you. I hung up and then I role played it three, four, five, six times so that when I got on my call, I was able to have it come out more naturally because I was able to organize my thoughts. Here's the point about the role playing. What role play gets you to do is it gets you to organize your thoughts. And once you organize your thoughts, you now find the linguistic patterns to transfer them thoughtfully, articulately, and, and, and very elegantly to the other person. Most people think they use charisma and relationship to transfer thoughts, but they don't organize their material to actually transfer it elegantly. If you just role played consistently, you would suck less and you would suck less tomorrow. And that's how you get better on autopilot. All right. That's number one, role play consistently. Number two, um, review obsessively. And it's not what you think. Here's what I mean. Um, I do, most of us do a lot of Zoom calls. I, I don't know how what, what your work is like, but maybe you make calls, maybe you do Zooms, maybe you have live meetings, whatever it may be. I, I don't think that if you, if you don't get a chance to review your daily work, you suck. I, I have folks in my own organization in several companies that we've invested in who have never role-played their work. And the reason why I am better is not because I'm better, is because I'm more practiced. I... I do hundreds of Zoom calls a month and every single week I have a block where I review my Zoom calls. I don't do, I review them, I, you know, I spot check them of course, but I don't review every single one. I put them on 2x speed and I listen to myself. I'm like, okay, what did I say there? 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 I review my stuff and then so that the next week I can do better and that's super important. Most people don't do any of that and now I'm not, why would I tell somebody to do something better? I'm not naturally gifted with like, you know, my connection to the almighty where suddenly I can just show up on a zoom call and deliver everything. If you think that that is like, if you think a Tony Robbins can do that, he's not. 
He's just organized his thoughts through role play, and he's practiced. And him being practiced is based on a lot of review. And that's super, super important, right? Uh, I'll give you an example. I recently, um, I recently went on a 10-week roadshow. And my team was like, Tron, you're not going to... 10-week roadshow in 10 different regions, so there's not a lot of overlap in audiences. So my team convinced me that I can do the same presentation in all 10 locations. And I generally don't like doing this, by the way. Normally, I would have seven to eight different, completely different presentations. Want to keep my head in the game. But I just had no time. So I had 10 different presentations. I had the same presentation I, that I gave in all 10 of my roadshow locations. But I viscerally cannot do that. So what I did is every single time I delivered this presentation, I came home, I came back to my hotel room, and I was like, hmm, what is one thing? It's the same deck. It's the same flow. It's same everything. What is one thing that I can do better? One thing. What is one upgrade that I can make to this presentation? And I will tell you what happened. At the end of my 10 presentations on my 10-week roadshow, that presentation looked almost nothing like the first one that I gave. It, it, it changed so much because it had 10 major upgrades built into it. So every single time I finished delivering it, I reviewed it obsessively and I made one upgrade. Maybe I changed out the flow. Maybe I updated the sequence. Maybe I retold a different story. Maybe I got a, a different two or three uh, slight configuration. What, whatever it may have been, I upgraded the presentation ten, nine times. So my 10th presentation was nine times better than my first presentation. And today, every time I do that presentation again, in fact, I'm doing that again next week, every time I do that presentation again, I get to upgrade it one more time. Again, it's not that I'm better. I'm just more practiced. And that's why this is important. And the last part of it is whenever I review something with somebody. So let's say I do a presentation and someone comes, let's say someone comes to my Zoom, uh, a Zoom that I do, or someone comes to a webinar that I do, or someone comes to a presentation that I've given. They're like, Sharon, that was really good. I enjoyed it so much. And my thing I ask them is, hey, what is, you know, what is your, what was your favorite slide? Or what is the one thing that you remember? No judgment. I just want to know like the one thing that you remember. And I'm trying to figure out what does the audience remember? So if I do a presentation and all of them remember the slide with the pink elephant, I know that that made an impact. So I should not cut it out in my next one. In fact, I should probably do more like that because that was memorable. People get obsessed and romanticize with their own material. They think their material is so darn good. But in fact, I've done, you know, a 90-minute keynote and I thought it was pretty good and then people will come back to me and say Sean that was good but I remember that made me trigger this and this and I'm like that is so crazy I only talked about that for four seconds and so it forces me to think differently that's why you want to review obsessively and when you know that people are going to come up to you and say great presentation great job whatever I don't ask them what did you like I ask them hey what was your favorite slide or what was the one thing that you remember and it doesn't matter what it is because what did you like forces them to put a value judgment on it. What was your favorite slide or what is one thing you remember just calls for recall because we know that that whatever is recalled is what gets remembered. Whatever is remembered is, is what gets internalized. Whatever gets internalized maybe is what gets implemented and what gets implemented is what you get credit for, right? That's why this is important. So that's number two, review obsessively. Here's number three is to reflect honestly. So I'll tell you two stories. Number one, when I talk to my, I, I have several mentors um, and who are amazing. Uh, I have several coaches who I pay for that are more money than you could ever imagine. And 
if if I told my wife, she doesn't know. If I told my wife, and she doesn't listen to this podcast, if I told my wife the the gross amount that I write as a check every year to coaches and consultants, like it, it she will punch me in the face. But she also knows that that I have committed that that much time and that much effort to learning. And so when I talk to my mentors, I tell them what I'm doing. I'll I'll call my mentor and say, hey. Uh, I want to run something by you. I am do. I don't say. I don't ask a question, because most people utilize me as their mentor or advisor. All the co- portfolio companies that we've invested in utilize me as their mentor or advisor. All our agents are real. Uh, tens of thousands of them utilize me as their mentor and uh, their advisor. What they do is they're like, "Oh, Sharon, can I schedule a fifteen-minute call?" And the answer is always no. I don't want like if if twelve thousand people wanted to schedule a fifteen-minute call, I just don't have enough time to do that. But instead. If someone said, hey, Sean, can I leave you a one-minute voice memo? I want to tell you what I'm working on. And if you have any ideas, I would appreciate it. That's all I wanted, right? Most things, nobody, I like, I don't need a meeting. I, most of the time, I'm not dumb. I, in our space, in our, in, in, in our, in my domain, if you have an idea, there's a 99% chance that I, I've already heard about it. And the 1% that I've not heard about, I, you can explain to me in one minute. If you don't know how to explain to me in one minute, you probably don't understand it yourself. Right now, I may be wrong. I'm I'm dramatically generalizing, but here's what I tell my mentors. I call my mentor or I do a voice memo or a quick email and say, here's what it is. Here's what I'm doing. I tell them and I show them and I explain to them what I'm doing. And I say, hey, what would be one thing that you would do to upgrade this? I ask them not to poke a hole, not for their feedback, not for how they would do it differently, not for whether they should, you know, give me an attaboy, none of that. I'm just asking them, hey, here's how I'm building out this new website. What is one thing you would do to upgrade this? So all I care from them is to use their advice and perspective to give me one upgrade. Because then I'm good. I don't care if they spend 20 minutes on it. Most people, like if, if I had to look at your marketing material, I can give you one one piece of advice instantly. That's where a lot of times people will, will, instead of doing a, oh, can I meet with you for an hour? I want to show you all my stuff. No, send me your four postcards or your landing pages. I can look at it and tell you, change this, change this, change this, do that. That's it. That's all you need. It'll probably be 10 times better. Not because I'm good, but because I'm practiced. I've seen a lot of these, right? And the people don't utilize mentors well because they don't have never been a good mentor themselves. The number one reason why you don't want to spend more money on mentors is because you've never been a good mentor to anybody. The fact, the as soon as you've been a good mentor to somebody and you can see how they've utilized you and you feel a sense of usefulness and then you realize, wow, if I had all the smartest people in the world as my mentors, what would I utilize them with? That's when you win. In fact, I, most of my coaches and mentors, I don't even have calls with them. I don't call, I, I don't even talk to them. I there There's one of my, one of my coaches, I have not talked to her. I talked to her one time in the last eight months and I'm getting insane value from it because I'll send her a quick voice message. I'll send her a quick uh, video. I'll send her a quick text. I just want the one upgrade. Because for me, I don't have the time. I have decent intelligence to pick up an idea and implement it. I don't need an hour call. And I'm telling you, you don't either. Because we don't frame our reflection honestly enough. Tell mentors what you're doing. Explain it to them in a very succinct way. And ask them, hey, what would be one thing you would do to upgrade this? What would be one thing you would do to upgrade this? And then... Whatever they said, try it. You don't have to do it. Try it. And then go back to them and be like, Sean, you said to change the color from yellow to blue. I tried it. These were the results. Um, this is what I got. It were this, is this what you were expecting? 
Now I, as your mentor, I'm deeply invested in your project because I'm like, wait a minute, I gave Jimmy the answer. He went and did it. Now the data came back. It didn't work. Now I feel compelled to spend more time to helping him with this. You got to help. You got to create a sense of ownership for me. Otherwise, your mentors and advisors don't care. By the way, if you're if you're picking somebody's brain, like if, if you're for free, right, who is significantly smarter than you and you want somebody's advice and you're not paying for it, like I, I, I would severely think about how you're utilizing their time. Because if you're like, I want to jump on a call, nobody wants to talk to you. I'm telling you, no one wants to. Everyone's super busy, right? But give them the option. What would be the best way for you to review this? Can I send you a one-minute video? Can I send you just the screenshots in a document? Can I just send you a one-minute audio about this? Uh, or would you prefer to jump on a call? What, could you call me on your driving? What would be the easiest way for me to share this with you so that you can give me your, your thoughts? And then implement it that way because we think that everyone else works like us. And there's a good chance that like, I don't like talking on the phone. I don't like, I, I don't like doing meetings. But instead, if you gave me your material, I could very quickly give you the upgrades, right? Most people, when they ask to meet, I don't even respond because I just don't have enough time in the day. But the most important thing what if people need to realize is reflection honesty. Tell mentors what you are doing and ask for one upgrade. Then it gets very good. But uh, to wrap this all up, I want to give you what I call the DBQ. DBQ, not the airport code for Dubuque, Iowa, but DBQ is the do better question. DBQ, do better question. And every single night I ask myself this question. Sometimes I'm too tired, but most time, most nights I ask this and I just think about this and I meditate on it. And the question is this, what is one thing I can do tomorrow to make it better than today? That's it. What is one thing I can do tomorrow to make it better than today? When I do that, I ask myself that one question and I come up with, I'm only, I have to come up with one answer. What is one thing that I can do tomorrow to make it better than today? Now, my tomorrow is better and then I do it again at night, the DBQ, the do better question. What is one thing that I can do tomorrow to make it better than today? Uh, by the way, one of my good friends, uh, Late Masarwe, he's the CEO of Assistantly and he always tells me like the one way to suck less is by, for, is by teaching others what you already do. Because when you teach others what you already do, the holes in your thinking come out. So when I when I got my first outsourced virtual assistant, just training her on the things that I was doing made me realize how much of a hole that I was in and it made me get me so much better. And so ever since then, here's what I've done. Um, I get all my virtual assistants from Assistantly. I have a dozens of virtual assistants just running Sharon brand alone um, that are all on my payroll, by the way, my personal payroll, because I believe that it is my job to create content, build ideas, to do things like the, this podcast, to give back to you. And I have only one rule. And the rule is only talk, no keyboard. So I try super, super hard not to type any messages because I've realized that the fastest way for me to deliver an idea is through my head and from my voice, right? So I, since I can't do telepathy, I just talk. And the more I talk, the more the team starts to understand that they may give me an update, but I'm, I'm only going to get, they're only going to get a voice back. And I keep, and with voice, you get tone and all of that. I just keep giving them back. I only talk, I talk, I talk, I talk. And I let them figure it out because they know that if I start writing, they're going to have to start reading and then I'm going to have to go back and forth. And it's very hard to explain these ideas. Uh, by the way, if you're interested in uh, working with really top-notch virtual assistants, uh, you get... I don't get anything for this. But, uh, they're a great company. There's no tracking link or anything like that. Just go to assistantly.com 
And if they ask you who sent you, just say Sharon and they'll take good care of you, right? Awesome. This is Sydney.com if you want a great virtual assistant. But more importantly, let's recap to see how we can suck less. Number one, role play everything. Role play everything. Get into role play mode because once you get into role play mode, everything gets very fun very, very quickly. Don't just role play the 20% objections. Role play the 80% of the normal stuff. And that's when it really starts to work. Number two, uh, spot review your recordings. So if you're if you're recording audio, recording Zooms, recording anything, spot review your recordings because you will find how you're coming across, your tone, your presentation, your smiles. Uh, small little upgrade in that can change everything. And last but not least, reflect honestly with the DBQ. The DBQ is the do better question. What is one thing that I can do tomorrow to make it better than today? Uh, that those are my uh, that's my big idea of how to suck less tomorrow. I really wanted to show you how to get better on autopilot because if you put these things into your life, I don't have to think about them on active basis. They're just part of my, the fabric of my life. Because when you can get better on autopilot, you will leave your competition in the dust, and that's why it is important to have a methodology, a system, a workflow, a mechanism to suck less tomorrow. If you can do me a favor. I am not going to ask you to like and subscribe and leave a comment. You're not going to do any of it anyway. I know that. So instead, while you have the while you have this, either on a phone or a laptop, can you just take a screenshot and tag me? Just take a screenshot with your phone and just just put me, put just tag me on social media. That way, at least, or or share this episode or whatever. But tag me because then I'll know that you actually like this. Because if I'm making all the content, I might as well make it, make something you like. I'm putting a lot of effort into this. I want to put more effort into it and give you more things that you like. So please do me a favor. Take a screenshot. Share this. That way I'll know you like this and I'll make more like this for you. If you'd like me to do something else, tell me that too. I uh, hope this was fun. This was how to suck less tomorrow and specifically how to get better on autopilot and leave your competition in the dust. I hope you enjoyed that and I'll catch you on the next one. Hey, Sharon, I have a cool gift for you. Since you like this podcast, I actually have an ultra super secret private podcast that I make just for my partner companies and the CEOs and influencers that I advise. It's called 10K Wisdom because I try to wrap $10,000 worth of value in every single episode in just under 10 minutes. That's why it's called 10K Wisdom. It's raw, it's real, it's got no intro or outro or anything like that. It's just straight to the point and to the insights. Since you like this podcast, I think you will like that. So, for the first time, I'm making it available to you. Just go to 10kwisdom.com, the number 10kwisdom.com, and my team will activate it for you as my gift. Go to 10kwisdom.com, I'll see you there.